Welcome to Brewed in America, the podcast that offers you some perspective on America's culture and takes a deep dive into her people, her foundations, her principles, her precepts. We even look at the individual cities and what make them great, all while sipping on a delicious black cup of coffee every single show. This show is designed to start your day off with a little bit of caffeine and a good healthy, heavy dose of some love for America. We have an incredibly exciting show for you today. We are talk about 10 things about George Washington that you have either may have heard of or maybe have not heard of. So stay tuned. And with that, we are going to get into the drip of the day. Today's drip comes from Texas. We have got several listeners popping up in Texas, and for that, we thank you. We love we love Texas on this podcast. In fact, just a couple of years ago, I got the opportunity to go over to Dallas, Fort Worth, and Waco, uh, and just what a great time! It is beautiful country there. Uh, I believe there's a there's a place between Dallas and Waco called Hillsview or Hillsdale. Or maybe, I think it was Hillsview. Something. Anyway, it's on the interstate going between Dallas and Waco. It is stunningly beautiful country. Rolling grass hills. It looks like where the buffalo roam and the skies are not cloudy all day. Ironically, when I was there, the skies the skies were not only cloudy, but it was hailing and nearly a tornado. All that aside, this coffee comes from the Noble Coyote Coffee Roasters in Texas. And the particular coffee that I'm sipping on today is called the Barking Dog Espresso. This is a really, really good cup of coffee. Uh, Similar to other coffee roasters that we've covered on the show before, um, this is a, you know, they have a relationship with the farmer that actually grows the coffee beans. Um, And so this particular coffee, the way it's roasted, it gives you sort of a uh, caramel flavor, a chocolate flavor. Uh, And so interestingly, the coyote, so they're called the Noble Coyote Coffee Company. The scientific name of the coyote is called Canis Latrans, which literally translates to barking dog, which is where the name of this coffee comes from. But it really is magnificent. It is an espresso, so it will get you stepping, and it is quite strong, and it is quite delicious. So when you get a second... Pull up your browser on your phone, whether that's Safari or whatever it is. Pull up noblecoyotecoffeecompany.com. They are currently on a little bit of a hiatus to roast a new batch of beans they've got in. Uh, On May 4th, they started that little bit of a hiatus. So go ahead and start shopping now and make your selection so whenever the shopping orders uh, go live again, you can get your bag of Barking Dog Espresso from Noble uh, Coyote Coffee Roasters in Texas. And let me just get another sip of that man it's good it'll it'll kick you in the pants and get you started for a good monday morning i'll tell you that all right so today we're going to talk a little bit about my favorite patriot and possibly my favorite person ever george washington a few days ago uh somebody was talking about how 
uh, I think it might have actually been, it might have been on the Glenn Beck show. I can't remember who was actually, who the guest was, but they were talking about how most people, most, and it's not even just people, but high school students, college students, um, they don't know who George Washington is. They couldn't name you a single fact about him other than probably incorrectly tell you that he's the guy on the oatmeal box. Uh, but that really struck me, and it and it really surprised me, honestly, because George Washington, uh, for, for centuries in this country, was prolifically talked about in classes, uh, whether that's high school, college, you know, any sort of history class, whether that was American history or not, George Washington was discussed at length. And the fact that that is not the case anymore is troubling. And so today, I want to offer you a few things um, that come from wallbuilders.com. If you've never gone to wallbuilders.com and looked through some of their publications and some of their um, their documents that they have in their library, they have well over 100,000 documents, the handwritten actual hard copies that the founders wrote. They have over 100,000 copies that were issued or written or published before uh, eight. 1812. Incredible, extensive library. Uh, but what we're going to talk about today comes from Wall Builders. Um, and so uh, just to kind of give you an idea of who George Washington is, these are qu- 10 quick points I wanted to give you um, and 10 things to think about. So number one, um, if you don't know who George Washington is, you probably have never heard of the story of the cherry tree. Uh, and the story of the cherry tree is, of course, you know, He was supposedly, as a young boy, chopped down the cherry tree with an axe, uh, and his father had either, I can't remember if it was either he had just planted the cherry tree or if it was his favorite cherry tree, I don't remember. But his father comes home, finds Washington with an axe, and uh, asks Washington if he cut down the cherry tree, and of course... George Washington, being the honest person that he is, could not tell a lie. And so the story goes that he told his father that he did it. He cut down the cherry tree, and he took the punishment for it. Now, that did not happen, surprisingly, uh, as, as really super, um, you know, truthful and and accurate as that sounds that, you know, George Washington as a young boy with an axe in his hand standing beside a chopped down cherry tree, uh, you know, on his own integrity told the truth. That's not exactly true. Um, So the famous story originates from the fifth edition of the popular biography, The Life of Washington the Great by Mason Weems. Um, this book was published in 1906, seven, I'm sorry, 1806, seven years after Washington's death, uh, but there are no primary sources attesting to its truthfulness. Uh, all things considered, its late appearance and the complete lack of evidence has led most to consider it apocryphal. And to be completely honest, you know, there are, there are plenty of jokes going uh, about this particular, particular story. It's really kind of implausible um, and to, to really think about it. Not to take away from Washington, because I absolutely love George Washington, and he 100% was an honest man, but the story is just a little bit ridiculous. I mean, you know, if I'm a, a young boy or, you know, me being a father now with my young son... I don't think it takes much integrity with an axe, you know, you trying to hide an axe behind your back with a chopped down cherry tree in the yard. I don't think it's incredibly hard to make the case to your father that, uh, yeah, you're the one that cut down the cherry tree. And your father's going to have a hard time believing anything otherwise, right? So, uh, that's point number one. Point number two, he was most embarrassed about his lack of education and his bad teeth. That is 
second thing about Washington, very embarrassed about his lack of education and bad teeth. Now, uh, the most persistent enemy to Washington were not his political or military opponents, but his teeth. And by the time he had sworn in as the first president of the United States, he had only a, had only a single original tooth left. Over the course of his life, he had a number of dentures made from a wide variety of materials. And the dentures of the time were large and bulky, burdensome, uh, and they worked together to make Washington quite self-conscious about leading them uh, to be uh, more introverted than perhaps he might have been. And on top of this, Washington did not have the same high level of education his older brothers received. And this was due to the death of his father, Augustine Washington, when George was only 11 years old. And this tragedy led Washington to become a surveyor, uh, which incidentally provided the exact education he needed to do the amazing things that God had planned for him. And when standing next to the genius-level intellects of Jefferson and Adams and others, it was easy for Washington to feel at an embarrassing disadvantage to his more educated peers. Now, this to me is incredible because uh, you would think that of all people, George Washington would have nothing Nothing to be embarrassed about or self-conscious about or feel like that he was you know, less than adequate or less than average. Uh, and, but a man of his stature, a man of his integrity, a man, a man of his intelligence um, was still self-conscious about things. And I think that's an important point for us to take home today from this podcast. And as we're getting our Monday started here and as we get ready to take on a new week, don't, you know... Don't let some perceived weakness hinder you from doing amazing things. If God's got a plan for you, he's got a plan for you. And he's going to provide provide the education that he, you know, he needs you to have or maybe helps you to avoid things that you don't need. But at the end of the day, what you know, don't don't let self-consciousness and don't let perceived weaknesses hold you back. You know, th- those things can be overcome. If not only, you know, just by God's divine providence, those things can be handled. And I think it's really incredible that, you know, as I said a minute ago, something as uh, somebody as as big and as you know, and I mean that in the sense of um, uh, reputation, somebody as big in reputation and somebody as noteworthy as George Washington, the fact that he could be, you know, at all self conscious about anything is just incredible to me. Um, all right, so number three, he was nominated to be the commander of the Colonial uh, Army by John Adams. Uh, now, this is another great, amazing, uh, amazing thing. So, he says, quote, I do not think myself equal to the command I am honored with, uh, and it was these words that the ever humble George Washington accepted the unanimous appointment to command the uh, soon-to-be-created Continental Army. Uh, the official vote happened on June 15th of 1775, so, uh, you know, a little over a year before the Declaration of Independence was signed, uh, with John Adams being credited as the one who recommended and nominated Washington to the position. Uh, you'll see this play out if you've ever seen the HBO series called John Adams, which, by the way, if you've never seen that, I cannot encourage you enough to watch that. It is an incredible show, and best I can tell, it's actually pretty historically accurate. Uh, one of the things that was left out, uh, I would say probably the biggest thing that was left out, is they is the show leaves out any you know any uh, reflection of God and the and the hand of providence that was you know as Washington put it was conspicuous throughout the whole ordeal of the American Revolution. 
the show, of course, it's HBO, so what do you expect? But the show, you know, does a great job of the events and what happened, but it completely leaves out the the spirit literally, capital S and lower S, uh, and it really omits God's hand in the entire American Revolution, which is is really sad, but it's, you know, to be expected, it's HBO. Um, But Adams wrote to his wife explaining how Congress elected the, quote, modest and virtuous, the amiable, generous, and brave George Washington, and he solemnly proclaimed that, quote, the liberties of America depend on him. That's no pressure, right? I mean, if you're George Washington, now, of course, he doesn't know what he's writing to his to Abigail, but, you know, that's pretty high praise coming from somebody like John Adams, who was, you know, he was no wimp himself. And, you know, George Washington had enormous, enormous weight on him. Uh, and he had, you know, had he, had, he had big shoes to fill, although, you know, he was the one who, he is the, he is the mold, and they broke the mold after him. So to say that it was, you know, some sort of shoes he was filling is actually kind of inaccurate. He was the one who the shoes were molded after. Um, you know, so really interesting point there that John Adams uh, is the one that nominated him to be the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. Um Point number four, George Washington was described by others as being taller than the average man. Uh, Noted early biographer Jared Sparks clocked Washington in at an impressive six feet three inches. John Adams later wrote in life, uh, or later in life, excuse me, wrote to a fellow signer of the Declaration of Independence, Dr. Benjamin Rush, that Washington had, quote, all stature like the Hebrew sovereign chosen because he was taller by the head than the other Jews. Uh, And a military observer repeatedly called attention to the vast stature of Washington, explaining, quote, It is not difficult to distinguish him from all others. His personal appearance is truly noble and majestic, being tall and well-portioned. Now, let me just stop right here. Um, I know what Washington was feeling right here. I mean, you know, being myself, you know, dreamy and tall and handsome and broad and, you know, being... I can't tell you how many times a day somebody describes me as noble and majestic, um, but you know it's a it's it's my cross to bear, right? You know we we all have our have our issues, and you know being noble and majestic is really a curse. It really is. You know, if I had it my way, I'd be you know uh, not noble and short and and you know george costanza like but you know i i live with it it's just something that i deal with so pray for me on that uh but he goes on to write this military observer that this is the illustrious chief whom a kind providence has decreed as the instrument to conduct our country to peace and to independence. And George Washington was a tall man with an even bigger purpose, as Wall Builder says here. Point number five, one of my favorites and something that will leave the left running screaming and will really hopefully encourage you to go and do your own homework on George Washington and get an idea of just what kind of man he was. Uh, But... Number five, he encouraged his troops to go to church. Uh, As General Washington would issue orders throughout the army, instructing them as to what the day would hold, on June 23, 1777, he issued the following order. Quote, All chaplains are to perform 
divine service tomorrow and on every other succeeding Sunday with their respective brigades and regiments and with their situations, uh, when their situa- situations will admit of it. And the commanding officers of the Corps are to see that they attend. The commander-in-chief expects an exact compliance with this order and that it be observed in future as an invariable rule of practice, practice excuse me, and every neglect will not only be considered a breach of orders but a disregard to decency, virtue, and religion. Okay, I don't know if you can hear it or not, but I can hear half of the country's head exploding right now and their hair's on fire and, you know, the Washington Monument has just launched into space and is going to blow up in midair because that is a horrible breach of the separation of church and state. The fact that the commander-in-chief of the U.S. Army, or the Continental Army at this point, could ever, ever conceive of forcing his troops to go to church How dare he? You know, maybe it's entirely possible that we've got this thing backwards. And maybe it's entirely possible that we, meaning me and you, uh, as coffee-loving, freedom-loving Americans, maybe it's time that we put our foot down and say, enough's enough, it's time for you to tell the other side to shut up. There... I will do plenty more episodes on this, but if it's not incredibly obvious by now that the separation of church and state is a lie of the devil that these that the the progressive left has has conjured up out of their backsides to keep you and I from doing what we need to do to make sure that our country stays on solid footing and to keep God involved and to keep his hand of divine providence on this country. If that's not incredibly evident by now, I don't know I don't know what it's going to take. You know, the fact that our that our commander in chief, the first founding father, the father of our country, not only was he Christian, not only was he a devout Christian, not only was he a a prayer warrior, not only are all those things true, but he as commander in chief of the army directed his army, all of them, all regiments, all groups of troops were to attend Sunday services and that the the commanders of each regiment were to make sure that that was taking place. And not only that, but Washington made sure to add in there. He says, the commander-in-chief ex- expects an exact compliance with this order and that it be observed in the future as an invariable rule of practice and every neglect will not only be considered a breach of orders, but a disregard to decency, virtue, and religion. As your neighbor, progressive left, shut up. I have had it. All this separation in church and state stuff is garbage. It's a lie. Now, I got that out of my system. Being a man of great piety and sincere religion, that's a little pee on piety. He was not a jerk about it, and you shouldn't either. It is no surprise that Washington placed such an extraordinary emphasis on his men going to church. In fact, when Washington felt like the chaplains were not doing a good enough job of providing opportunities for his soldiers to go to church, he made all the chaplains come to a meeting to fix the issue. You might say it was really important to George Washington that his troops go to church. Now, let's contrast to where we're at now. Now, we have a, a, a tranny that has gone on 
uh, the Navy has hired this guy to dance around in front of a camera in his in in lingerie, and somehow that's supposed to be helpful to the U.S. military. You know, the Bible talks about there's things that are abominations to God, and if you go back and look at where the where that word comes from, where does the what does the word abomination mean? It means it makes it, it makes God want to throw up. Well, all that aside, let's just forget about that for a minute. It makes me want to throw up. It would have made Washington want to throw up. And to think that that is somehow better, that somehow our nation has progressed, that somehow our nation has has made leaps and bounds of progress because we have a dude dressed as a woman dancing on a Navy destroyer. What are we doing? Good night. You know, our commander-in-chief now... He doesn't even know where he's at, much less that he probably actually has chaplains in the military right now that are essentially jobless. Washington's devotion to Christ was so apparent in the camp that the Reverend Henry Muhlenberg, the father of Major General John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg, said this, quote, His Excellency, George Washington, rode around among his army yesterday and admonished each and every one to fear God, to put away the wickedness that has set in and become so general, and to practice the Christian virtues. From all appearances, this gentleman does not belong to the so-called world of society, for he respects God's word. We are in the world. We do not belong to this world. We are not of this world. We are of The Lord's kingdom. Washington had it. Washington was a Christian. Keep moving here. From all appearances, this gentleman does not belong to the so-called world of society, for he respects God's word, believes in the atonement through Christ, and bears himself in humility and gentleness. Therefore, the Lord God has also singularly, yea, marvelously preserved him from harm in the midst of countless perils, uh, ambushes, fatigues, and has hitherto graciously held him in his hand as a chosen vessel. And then at the end of this quote, he puts 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Any questions on Washington's sincerity and adherence to Christian principles? I don't have any. You know, something to add to this, that Washington forbade gambling and drinking in the military. Forbade it. In fact, it was a court-martialable offense under Washington's rule. And I don't know if we have forgotten this or or what, but some might say, well, that's a recipe for disaster. You want to drive the morale of the army down, you know, you take away gambling, you take away drinking, and you force them to go to church, you'll have, you know, the U.S. Army will implode on itself due, a, due to a lack of morale. I don't know if you know this or not, but we won the American Revolutionary War against all odds with a band of farmers, pitchforks, and guns that only fired about half the time. We should have not only lost, but have been all hung by the neck until dead. And Washington, the way he ran the military, interestingly, did not rely on the gun. It relied on a more sacred power. Number six, he forbade his officers to swear. 
along the same lines as the previous fact, Washington focused on making the military uh, not only righteous, but also respectable. To this end, on July 4th, 1775, he issued the following order, quote, The general most earnestly requires and expects a due observance of those articles of war established for the government of the army, which forbid profane cursing, swearing, and drunkenness, and in like manner requires and expects of all officers and soldiers not engaged on active duty, a punctual attendance on divine service to implore the blessings of heaven upon the means used for our safety and defense. All right, so that kind of goes hand in hand with point number five. Number seven, get another cup of Texas coffee here. Number seven, he was the only president elected unanimously. Uh, after the ratification of the U U.S. Constitution, the first order of business was to fill the newly created positions of government. The most important question was, who will be our president? For the Americans of 1789, that was apparently an easy answer. Uh, with that resolution, Washington, by, quote, no effort of his own in a manner against his wishes, by the unanimous vote of our grateful country, end quote, this incredible feat was only ever one other time by Washington for his second term. He was reluctantly called out of retirement after the American Revolution to the highest office in the land. In fact, he went back to Mount Vernon. All the man wanted to do was farm and to retire and die peacefully, but his country needed him. Honorable. Honorable. That's all I can say there. Number eight. George Washington added... Quote, so help me God, end quote, to the presidential oath of office. Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution states that when the president is sworn into office, he is to say the following oath. Quote, I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of president of the United States and will best, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. With his hand laid upon the Bible, Washington said the oath. Washington sealed the oath with uh, by a solemn, quote, So help me God, and then reverently bowed down and kissed the Bible. One eyewitness to the event recalled that, quote, It seemed from the number of witnesses to be a solemn appeal to heaven and earth at once. By the way, that appeal to heaven there, if you've never seen the appeal to heaven flag, it is a, a uh, evergreen tree on a white field and it says appeal to heaven. That was Washington's uh, flag for the Navy, the Continental Navy at the time. So just a quick side note there. Number nine, he was elected to be a vestry at local, uh, sorry, a vestryman at local churches. In early American Episcopalian churches, vestrymen were, quote, a select number of principal persons of every parish who chose parish officers and take care of its concerns, end quote. This included making sure the poor, widows, and orphans were taken care of and even extended to major decisions about the church as a whole. Washington was elected, perhaps his first election, to be a vestryman in two different parishes. In March of 1765, he was chosen in Fairfax Parish with 274 votes. And then four months later, he was again chosen in Truro Parish with 259 votes. 
Washington was extremely active as a vestryman. And on one occasion, Washington even went toe-to-toe with George Mason, who, if you have studied any American history at all, you've heard that name. He was a fellow future delegate to the Constitution Convention about relocating the church to a new site. After an impassioned speech by Mason, which seemingly settled the question, Washington unassumingly rose and used a surveying map to show where the new site would be and how it would be better for each parishioner. This suddenly, uh, this sudden recourse to sound reason and just sensibilities were uh, restored the council to their senses, and they voted with Washington to move the church to the new site. Number 10, and probably the most sad fact of George Washington or about George Washington. Washington was killed by his own physician. This characterization might be a little uncharitable, though. The doctors were doing the best they could do with the knowledge that they had, but it doesn't mean it's not true. The old general fell sick after riding uh, out on Mount Vernon during the cold rain. Soon he was struggling to breathe, probably covid The following is taken from the journal of Washington's lifelong friend and physician, James Craig. Quote, the disease commenced with a violent fatigue, uh, I'm sorry, with a violent ache accompanied with some pain in the upper and fore part of the throat, a sense of stricture in the same part, a cough and a difficult rather than uh, paint uh, deglutition, which were soon succeeded by fever and a quick laborious respiration. Definitely COVID. I bet he lost his sense of smell, too. Should have got the vaccine. Anti-vaxxer George Washington. He deserved to die. The necessity of bloodletting suggesting itself to the general, he procured a bleeder in the neighborhood who took from his arm in the night 12 or 14 ounces of blood. Medical science at the time thought that a number of sicknesses were caused because of some issue with the person's blood itself. To fix the disease, therefore, a common solution would be to bleed the patient out in order to get rid of the bad blood. Wow. Once more, doctors had been called to the scene. Craig continues, quote, In the interim, were employed two copious bleedings. A blister was applied to the part affected. Two moderate doses of calomel were given, and an injection was administered, probably the COVID vaccine way too late, which operated on the lower intestines, but all without any perceptible advantage, the respiration becoming still more difficult and distressing. Uh, in hindsight, I don't know... Um, I'm no doctor, but I don't think respiratory illnesses are caused by issues with the lower intestine. But, you know, hindsight's 2020. COVID joke. Even more blood was taken, and now the doctors applied hot irons to his throat because they thought that an accumulation of blood in Washington's throat was what caused the difficulty breathing, literally doing everything they could to kill him and didn't even know it. Calomel is actually a kind of mercury chloride, which, if you weren't aware, is really toxic. This, along with the bleedings and the injections, were a long way off from helping Washington get better, but the doctors weren't done yet. Upon the arrival, uh, this is quoting here from the, from the journal, upon the arrival of the first of the consulting physicians, it was agreed to try the result of another bleeding when about 32 ounces of blood were drawn without the smallest apparent alleviation of the disease, 10 grains of calomel were given, succeeded by repeated doses of emetic tartar, amounting in all to 5 or 6 grains with no other effect than a copious discharge of the bowels. Oh boy. That's a rough way to go. 
The powers of life seemed now manifestly yielding to the force of the disorder. Blisters were applied to the extremities. More bloodletting, more toxic calomel, more blisters. The biggest variation in this round of treatments is that they gave Washington another poisonous substance, emetic tartar. Altogether, it served only to give the dying president diarrhea. Again, should have gotten his COVID vaccine like a good boy. Finally, Dr. Craig relates to the end of his friend's suffering, saying, Speaking, which was painful from the beginning, now became almost impracticable. Respiration grew more and more contracted and imperfect, till, when retaining the full possession of his intellect, he expired without a struggle. A contemporary doctor estimated the total amount of blood drawn to be, quote, the enormous quantity of 82 ounces or above two quarts and a half of blood in 13 hours. The same doctor goes on to accurately, excuse me, accurately explain that very few of the most robust young men in the world could survive such a loss of blood, but the body of an aged person must be so exhausted and all his power so weakened by it as to make his death speedy and, ev- and, and inevitable. That is two words that should not belong together. And inevitable. The average amount of blood that someone of Washington's size and stature is around 210 ounces. So, if, as the doctor estimates, somewhere around 82 ounces were taken, then Washington's loss uh, lost nearly 40% of his blood. Even if he had survived, he would have had to starch his underwear to sit up. This amount is nearly tantamount to exsanguination if I pronounce that right, death by bleeding out, and when combined with the blisters, calomel, emetic tartars, and the various vapors, it appeared to be the unfortunate conclusion that the doctors killed George Washington outright. Really a sad, sad, painful, and diarrheal end to one of the most, if not the most, amazing mortal man in human history. George Washington, these are 10 very quick reasons uh, or things to think about with George Washington. If you don't know anything about George Washington, now you cannot say that. So, congratulations. This was provided by wallbuilders.com. Please go take a look at their website and look at all the amazing things that they have on file, all the amazing writings, all the amazing uh, works such as this where they go in detail on uh, not just George Washington, but Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Martin Luther King Jr., Abraham Lincoln. The list goes on and on. Take some time to go and research and just... You know, it's all very well written, it's easy to read, and it's really incredibly interesting. They also have a YouTube channel that you can go check out, Wall Builders, uh, on YouTube. They have some incredible videos on there that are short, 10, 15 minute, sometimes even less than that videos that talk about a lot of these topics and even show you the actual works, the the parchment these things were written on. So check them out. Uh, Huge thanks to them uh, for the information we have had today. Don't forget to go to noblecoyotecoffeeroasters.com. Check out the Barking Dog Espresso Coffee that we are sipping on today. One more sip. Ah, The rich, balanced, and smooth Barking Dog Espresso to get your morning started. I'm your host, Gordon Michael Porter. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. America, I love you. George Washington loved you. Until next week, God bless America and God bless you and your family.
best way. It don't mean a thing. 